glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Scripture, it says this here. It says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which to the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Please pray for me as we, as we pray. Lord, I pray and ask that you please bless this time. I pray you'd speak to our hearts. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's not saved, that you would convince them of that. And then I pray uh, that you would save their soul. Pray that you please bless this time. Would you give me grace? Help me, Lord, I pray. Help me the, give me the exact words to say, the exact thoughts to think, and help me to clearly be able to communicate your message to us uh, this morning and ask for your blessing and your grace and ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, this week has been a bit of a hurricane for us. We have had uh, making preparations to be able to go to the mission field. I thought, you know, one of the funny things I'm going to do, you know, some of you know my sense of humor. I'm going to have on my to-do list for tomorrow, go to the mission field. You know, I can check that off. Done. X that off my list. I'm finished with that. Moving on. Uh, but this last week's been crazy. We drove down on Monday to go to Boise uh, to get, uh, we had a meeting Tuesday morning to get uh, our visas. Uh, and then, unbeknownst to me, once you have your visa, then you can get the paperwork together to get your uh, uh, to ship your household goods into Mexico without any taxes. But you have to do that in the United States. So that threw a little bit of a kink into my plans for the week. We ended up uh, driving all the way back, and then I had to fly down on Boise for fly down to Boise on Friday for a special meeting just to go in. It was really weird. It felt like James Bond sort of, right? Fly into Boise at 3:30 meeting at the consulate at 4, sign a couple papers, get back on a plane and fly back to Northern Ireland, you know, back to Spokane. Uh, but that's okay. I'm not much of a James Bond guy anyway. I'd rather be Little House on the Prairie or something like that instead, right? But here in this text, you can see here, these are Paul's last words. This is the last recorded text of Scripture that we have that Paul wrote and in the Bible. And it's important to note that because you can, t- you can tell a lot about a person by their last words, some of the last things they said in their life. Uh, being able to communicate with people, and your last words are very, very important. Uh, I don't have a list of things in front of me of last words that people have said, but uh, it's been recorded that uh, some people have famous last words. Uh, You know, you think about our Lord Jesus Christ, some of his last words, he told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Uh, Here, one of the reasons why I I love this is that you can see with the Apostle Paul, he, he was able to say, I did it. I did it. I did what I was supposed to do. And why is that so encouraging? Because it is possible for every one of us to do the exact same thing. God has a course for you. He has a course for me. He has a path. He has a life. He has something he wants to do with you. And, uh, and I believe that it is possible for every one of us to actually fulfill that. There was a, a, a song, and it was, uh, I wish I had given him more. And that, to me, is such a it's controversial in my mind and my heart for this fact. How could anyone stand before him and not wish they'd given him more? Correct? But at the same time, Paul, at the end of his life, didn't say, I wish I'd given him more. He instead said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. 
He said, I did what God wanted me to do. Now, in a world that we live in today where success is defined by dollar signs and property and all kinds of other things, the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he easily could have been defined by, as a failure by this world's standards. He said, all Asia departed from me. Only Luke is with me. Uh, he was even, I believe, writing to a certain degree, trying to convince Timothy, don't be ashamed of my bonds. Uh, you, you could see where he was alone in many different ways. But today, we would deem Paul one of those most successful people that have ever walked the face of the earth. And do you know why? He talks about how he counted it all but done that he might, know, that he might win Christ. He took absolutely everything he had and he put it all in one basket and it was for eternity. He didn't live for the things of this life here and now. He, left, he lived this life for what was truly valuable. And I believe it's such a temptation for us today to get distracted and focus on the temporal things of this life and thereby miss out on investing in the things of eternity. And so we're going to see here a couple of different things we can learn from this short passage of Scripture. Are you and I, are we ready to stand before the Lord? Are we currently fulfilling God's purpose for our life? And are we going to have a reward waiting for us when we die? You realize the average person lives day by day and never really thinks about dying. They never think about what comes after. I heard a preacher one time and he did it like this. He said, have you never noticed on a tombstone, on a tombstone you have a name of a person. Now, some of you, some of you from the East Coast, you know what I'm talking about. When we went back there, it was fascinating how you, they're everywhere. You go to a church, some churches, it was unbelievable how they would have a church building and the yard went for acres and it was covered in tombstones. Uh, every church had tons of tombstones. It was very interesting how we went to uh, we went through Cades Cove, and there was a, a Baptist church there in Cades Cove, not being used, of course, but it was established a long time ago. And as we walked through the graveyard, you're talking, there was a tombstone of one person that had served in the Revolutionary War. It's fascinating because we're from out here. This part of the country is still relatively young. You know, you don't see the tombstones like they do back there. But every, every tombstone, pretty much, I, I love it when we were at one church in Georgia. You go through, not only the dates fascinated me, but just some of the things that are written on the, 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 written on the tombstones. I'm going to be honest with you. I wish everything written on a tombstone were true. Because they can, you can put the nicest things on a tombstone. But I, I'm pretty confident not everything you put on a tombstone is true. But one thing they all have, you've got a name, and then you look at the dates. And some of the dates, you just do the math. Some are really close together. And you start doing the math and you go, that person was only six months old. You do others and it's fascinating. Like That person was over 100 years old when they died. It's amazing. But one thing you'll find is that they'll have a date and they'll have a dash and then they'll have a date. That's just how they do things. And it's interesting because what you'll see a lot of times is you'll see a date and then a dash and then a date. That's it, right? A date, a small dash, and a date. But what happens after that second date? It goes on and on and on and on and on for all of eternity. Friend, it never ends. And you have people, and it's sad to think of this, they will invest their whole life in that dash. And they'll miss out on eternity. They don't think about eternity. They only think about right here, right now. The first thing we want to notice here about the Apostle Paul in verse 6 is this. He said, For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. At the end of his life, he could say, I'm ready. I'm ready. 
I'm ready to go. Because he knew where he was going. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. He was ready to go. He was ready to be with the one. He had lost everything in this life that he could know Christ, that he could be close to him. And as a result, he was ready to go. And it's interesting to me, so many people today are being prepared, right? There's nothing wrong with insurance, but you think about it, that's a method of preparation. They say, I want to be, I got, I got health insurance, and I've got life insurance, and I've got property insurance, i got auto insurance, i got all this insurance. Some people, you know, they do it a little bit differently. What they do is they say, I'm going to have, uh, I've, got, uh, you know, I, I've got food storage, Anymore, I guess it would be toilet paper storage, right? In case that thing happens ever again. But you've got food storage and you've got water and you've got a generator and they've got ammunition and they are, boy, they're prepared. But isn't it sad to think how many people today are absolutely prepared for the temporal, but they have never made preparation for the eternal? They're not saved. They've never been born again. They don't even know what that means. I, I love it. One of the things I tell people, we go door knocking and different things. I, I, I have a tendency, I, I, when we were out on deputation, I would brag about, you know, Jim and Jeff. And when they first started, uh, they, didn't, they didn't go to door knocking school. Did you guys go to door knocking? I didn't think they did. They didn't go to door knocking school. And here's how you do it. Watch like videos and infomercial about how to do it. So it was very encouraging to me to watch them do it. And one of the things that they would do is, in this county, it's probably no different than a lot of other counties, you go knock on someone's door and 99 out of 100 people, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. So what do you do? Okay, have a good day. What they would do is, I think it was Jeff especially too, but both of them would do this. They say, can you tell me how to get saved? Ha, ba, ha, ba, 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 ha. They stumble and fall. I've got a casserole in the oven, and I've got to go take care of that casserole right now. Let me ask you this morning the same, same question. You say, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I'm born again. Could you take someone else and tell them how to be saved? I'm going to hand you a Bible. You show me how to be saved out of the Word of God. I remember years ago I had someone, a family member. I love them, care about them. But they said, oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. And I said, I asked them another question. So how do you get to heaven? I don't know. They were that honest. I don't know. So I, I remember in my mind imagining this scenario. Can you imagine as a small kid, maybe I'm eight or nine years old, and I'm riding my bicycle up to my friends, a bunch of friends on their bicycles. I ride up to them. I said, hey, guess what? I found this really neat bike racing track out in the woods, and it's so much fun. They say, great, let's go. And I said, I don't know how to get there. Wouldn't that be weird? Somebody's telling you all about Walmart, how great it is. Walmart's great. How do you get there? I have no idea. It'd just be like... That's weird. It's the same thing true today. You know why? Because a lot of people don't want to be honest. You see, if I'm willing to admit to you I don't know how to get to heaven, I have to be honest that I'm not going there. If you don't know how to get to heaven, you're not going to, you're not going to heaven. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Paul said, I'm ready. I believe Paul was not only ready because he's saved, uh, there in Acts, I believe it's Acts 9, on the road to Damascus. And here he is riding a horse and light knocked him off of his horse and shone round about him. He came and ran into the Lord. The Lord dealt with him about needing him. I've had people, uh, people say to me, I said, you, you just had an Apostle Paul experience, you know, about when I got saved. And I said, you're right. I was riding a horsey and I got knocked off my horse by light. No. I didn't have an Apostle Paul experience. I got saved just the same way anyone else does. And you know what? When the creator of the universe 
comes in and dwells inside of you, he's going to make a difference. That's just the way it is. And I had a more tr- dramatic uh, salvation experience because I got saved at the age of 23 years old. I was lost and I was living like it. I was a wicked person. But what an amazing difference Christ can make in a person's life. My life, verse 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. A person should be able to look at our life after salvation and say, wow, what a difference. Otherwise, what, do we, what is he doing in our life if he doesn't make a difference in our life? You know, I used to joke with people, not, not sincerely, but I'd say, you know, can you imagine a person saying to you, say, I once was a drug dealer, but now I'm a Christian drug dealer. I once was a drunk, but now I'm a Christian drunk. You see how that doesn't work? I once was a thief, but now I'm a Christian thief. This doesn't work, folks. You see, there's a difference that takes place. What about the Apostle Paul? Oh, what what a difference Christ makes in the life of a person. He went from being a murderer to a missionary. Only Christ can do that. You've got programs and you've got all kinds of stuff in this world today that can replicate that, but never duplicate it. You think about the demoniac of Gadara. Only Christ can do that. This man was a maniac, cutting himself in the tombs, screaming. The local enforcement, you know, the local police enforcement show up, try to shackle him, and he would break the chains. Nobody could tame him. One day Jesus Christ shows up and makes all the difference in this man's life. And it's amazing how he went, and as Christ is getting in the boat, he wanted to go be with him. The Lord said, no, you go to your family and friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you. He took him from being a maniac to a missionary. Christ is the only one that can do that. Christ can take a drunk and turn him into a preacher. He's the only one that can do that. And so here Paul, I believe Paul was ready not only because he was saved, but you look at what Christ did. He lived to please the Lord. One of the things that the Lord Jesus Christ said, he said, I do always those things which please him. One of the things you could say about Paul, he was not perfect like Christ, but one of the things you can say is, I believe he was sincere and he lived for the Lord. And at the end of his life, he was able to say, I'm ready. You see, not only because he was saved and he knew he would go to heaven when he died, but he was also surrendered to the will of God. He wasn't fighting with him. I'll be honest with you, there's some of these times, you ever hear, sometimes you hear a person's testimony and they're like, you know, I got saved and this. And then the Lord really dealt with me about surrendering to preach or going to the ministry. And I, and I said, no, I won't do it. And then the Lord worked on me. And I said, no. And I fought and I wrestled. And then I got hit by a Mack truck. And I'm laying in the hospital in a full body cast. And I finally said, okay, I'll do it. And I'm like, why would you live that way? Why live that way? Why fight with God? Why not let him have control of our lives? Do we really believe we can do a better job than he can? No. Now, you know why that's a problem? Because there are times when he says, I want you to do this. And we say, I don't, I don't want to do that. The Lord led him through different cities. As he, got, he went through Troas. He said, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, uh, Antioch, Pisidia. He went through all these different cities. Sometimes they threw rocks at him. How many of you understand it might be difficult to do the will of God when it involves having people throw rocks at you? I can, I can relate. But he continued to do the will of God regardless. He was ready. So many people today are prepared for this life but not the life to come. He was prepared. I remember when I was uh, 14 years of age, 14 years of age, um, 
this is all beginning to become so much more uh, in my face now. Uh, we saw my mom recently, and uh, it was interesting because at the age of 14, some of you probably heard this before, but at the age of 14, uh, I got really sick, and I got pneumonia. And so what they did was they took me and I, uh, they put me in the hospital, uh, and immediately I wasn't responding to any antibiotics, so they contacted a different doctor, and they tried to get him in there. And uh, it wasn't responding to any of the surgeries. They took two large hoses and stuck them alongside of my lungs to drain the fluid off because I had pneumonia. And I, I was not responding at all. So hear my, to hear my mom decades later, to hear my mom say to me that she had a nurse call her and tell her, I think she went and talked to her, and she said, we're losing him. He's not going to make it. You need to be prepared for this. And I, I knew two other people had the exact same thing while I was in the hospital, and they both died. So it's one of those moments where you sit there as a 14-year-old. Your dad comes in and sits down to you, next to you on the bed, and he tells you this. And he says, hey, two other people died. They said you weren't going to make it. And you're going, why did I live? There's got to be more to life than just what is at face value. What are we doing here? And that was a bombshell for a 14-year-old kid. My dad said to me, he said, apparently God's got a plan for you. Now you understand at the age of 14, I wasn't prepared. I was not ready. If I died that day, I would be burning in hell right now because I was not saved. I was not born again. I was raised in a religious home. I knew about Christ, but I did not know him personally. He would have said to me, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. But I'm so thankful at the age of 20, 22, I had some people that were giving me the gospel. I had a co-worker, a dear friend, sharing the gospel with me. And it was on July 10, 2003, while I was at work, the Spirit of God was dealing with me about how I'm a sinner and how I needed Christ to be my Savior. And on that day, my sinner's prayer was very simple. One word. I said, okay. Okay. Now, do you realize that the very moment after I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I was ready. At that moment, I'm ready to go to heaven. But you know as well as I do that that's not the only aspect of this. It's, it's more, you, once you get saved, then it's a matter of am I faithfully obeying Him? Are you prepared? Are you saved? Have you been born again? The next thing we see is that Paul was prepared for his parting. He says this, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. You know, I, I told you a moment ago I flew down to Boise on uh, Friday. You know what I had a lot of were departure times. I had departure times, departure times. And you know that sometimes those departure times can be delayed or prolonged. Uh, tomorrow we have a departure time. You know, you've got to be at the airport a certain amount of time. And you, you used to be, I mean, now you can get it on your phone. Some get them on their phone, right? And then you got screens for, for folks that are Amish. You can go to the airport and you can see there's screens that say arrivals and departures, right? And you've got all these times up on the wall and you can look and see what time your flight is departing. Now, this is, is a good picture for us in our mind. When that departure time comes, is that the end? No. It's a beginning. It's something new. Tomorrow, we have a departure time, and it's not the end, it's the beginning of something new. 
you see the same thing's true for the Apostle Paul. That word departure is an interesting word. It means to literally take down a tent only to be set up somewhere else. And that's what Paul was doing. Is this isn't the end of my life. It's the beginning of eternity. This is not the end. I'm going to get to see the one that I love face to face. The very one that I've lived my life for, I'm going to get to see him. You see, this isn't the end. It's the beginning. It's a departure. Now, he said, my time of my departure is at hand. It's interesting because Hebrews 9.27, it says, and, in, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. This is an appointment every single one of us will have to keep. I'm, this isn't rocket science. You're going to die someday, and so am I. The Lord returns. He'll snatch us up. I understand. But apart from that, we're going to die. There will come a day when we're going to have to die. Once again, I think it's amazing how many people... We, we knew a woman uh, who she had a lot of uh, property and different things like that. And after she died, we came to find out that she had uh, $30 million in the bank. And then she had lots of, lots of real estate. You ready for this? She didn't have a will. Now, us going to Mexico, we recently went in and we had a will drawn up. It's not that complicated. <laughs> Do you know why she didn't have a will? I believe it's this. She didn't want to think about dying. She had to be honest enough to say, I'm not going to live here in this life forever. The very things that she had lived to accumulate, she can't keep them. Make sense? And so I believe a lot of people are like that. I have some other relatives very dear to me that you know they're much, much older in age and they were talking about how they wanted to get the 10-year warranty on the refrigerator. It's dishonest. You're not going to live another 10 years to experience that warranty. You don't need it. You know what it is? I don't want to think about dying. I don't want to think about leaving. You see, one of the reasons why... Here, Paul could say, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Why? Because he wasn't living for this life. He was living for the one to come. You'll find that the people... Here, Paul said this in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I believe this. The only way we can ever get to a place where we say, for me to live is Christ is when we can say, to die is gain. Most people cannot say, for me to die is gain. They say, for me to die is to lose absolutely everything I'm living for. I'll lose my stuff. I'll lose my notoriety. I'll lose everything I've invested my life in. I'll lose it the moment I die. Not Paul. Paul said, no, for me to die is gain. Now, the departure is not the end. It's just the beginning. Unfortunately, for many, it's the beginning of an eternity separate from God in a place called hell because they've never been saved. They've never been born again. Not Paul. He was ready. Not only was Paul ready, secondly, we can see here Paul was resolute. If you look at verse 7, it says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Basically, he's saying, I've done my job. I did what I was supposed to do. He said, I fought a good fight. In case you don't know this, the Christian life is a battle. There are many people, they do this. They come, I, I try to do this with my kids. I try to teach them the truth. And, and here's the thing. When Paul, or I'm sorry, the Lord Jesus Christ taught those parables. He talked about one where a person who's going to build a house, they need to count the cost of how much it's going to build or how much it's going to cost. The person is going to go out to the battle. You need to wait. Do we have enough soldiers against the other person? Because you need to count the cost. And the entire context of that was trying to tell his disciples you need to count the cost of following me as a disciple. It's going to cost you to follow me. Salvation is free. Christ paid for it. We receive it by grace through faith. It's free. 
Following Christ is not free. It will cost you something to have fellowship with the Lord and to walk with Him. And so I try to teach my kids that because I don't want them to get sideswiped someday. If you go into something, here, think about this. If you got a little kid and you say, okay, we're going to go to the park and we're going to play in the park. It'll be so much fun. What you don't tell them is they're going to go out in the middle of an NFL football game. Is that going to work very well for them? No, they're going to get smacked and go, I don't like this. I'm out of here. I hate parks. That's what they're going to do. But if you, if you tell somebody, listen, you're going to go into a battle and this is how it's going to be and you're going to have to fight and you tell them what's going on. They're not going to be sideswiped. They're not going to be dismayed. They're not going to be, what's going on here? They're going to know what's going on. Here's the truth of the matter. The moment you engage in living for Christ, you're in a battle. Some people get the misconception that this is crown-wearing time. No, friend, this is cross-bearing time. They get the misconception this is a playground. It is not. It is a battleground. And there's three different entities that are going to wage war against you the moment you endeavor to live for Christ. Now, here's the, here's the first one. This will bake your noodle. It's you. You're the first one that's going to oppose you from living for the Lord. Your flesh is going to say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I do want to look at wicked things. I do want to do bad stuff. I don't want to do what's right. And what you're going to have to do, you're going to have to fight with your own flesh. Trust me, when I got saved at the age of 23, it was like, this is new. <laughs> you're used to saying yes to the flesh, but now you have to say no? Yeah. The second one is the world. Great. So now you feel like a person walking up a river, thigh deep, rushing against you, and you're going against the flow. Yep. It's a battle. The TV, the movies, magazines, newspapers, you name it. The world has its way of shoving its thinking on you and I. And what we have to do is say, no, I will not do that. I will not be conformed to this world. I'll be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm going to think the way God tells me to think. He has written me a book. I'm going to read it. I'm going to study it, meditate it, memorize it, and I'm going to live by the word of God. That's what I'm going to do. And, so, and then you also have the devil. And there might be times when you think, I can't withstand the devil. But you know, it's interesting. The book of James, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he shall flee from you. That's a promise from God. Do we have the capability of resisting the devil? Absolutely. Say no. You see, the closer we... Have you ever seen that picture? There's a picture going around on the internet and it's a picture of a cute little baby sheep. And it says... The devil doesn't, he, he's not afraid of sheep, he's afraid of the shepherd. And so the truth of the matter is, if we sit there, think about sheep. Did you know this sheep don't even have teeth on the top of their mouth? They only have teeth on the bottom. I mean, we had te- sheep when we were raising them, and, and we would let one of them just kind of chew on you because it didn't hurt at all. And then it, you can't run very fast or very far when you're a sheep because they'll collapse and fall over. And all. They're a pretty worthless animal if you think about it. They're right there next to turkeys. They just you eat them and they grow hair. I guess what sheep do, I guess. They're pretty worthless. They can't even take care of themselves. You know, they get, if, you, if they were to lay down on their left-hand side, it'll kill them. That, crazy. They need a shepherd. That's what they need. They're not very terrifying. Think about the noise that sheep make. Bah. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared. So you have a wolf, you have a lion. The devil's compared to a lion. You've got a lion sitting there and there's little sheep going, yeah, that's not going to work. But here's the good news, that Satan is terrified of Christ. How many times in the Gospels he said, why are you here to torment us before the time? When he speaks, they must obey. So here's the thing. When I'm a sheep, I'm a little ferocious sheep. You know me. 
But if I'm standing right next to the shepherd, he can't touch me. We just need to stay close to the Lord. That's what we need to do. And so Paul fought a good fight. The Christian life is a battle. Paul finished his course. Now, you know the truth is many people start out well, but they don't finish well. A lot of good it does if we start out well, but we don't finish well. How many of you are familiar at all with the Ironman race? I'll be honest with you. I, I, I think that's neat. But I couldn't even begin to think. I'm going to give you some information about the, about the Ironman race. One of the things about the Ironman that's interesting is that there's a level playing field. Amateurs and pros, they run the same race side by side. Another one is this. The course was formed from the three toughest races in the world. You start out with a 2.4-mile swim, and then you do a 112-mile bicycle ride, and then you do a 26.2-mile run, a regulation-length marathon at the end. Now, I thought about it. I went, I could ride the bike for the 2.4 miles. I could drive a car for 112 miles, and I could watch someone else run 26.2 miles. But, you know, I'm going to do any of that stuff. And they do it all back to back to back. It's crazy. There are no breaks, and you have only 16 hours to finish. Just finishing is a huge achievement. It was a couple years ago when they had the Ironman race down in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, uh, we happened to be passing through. And he said, you know what, let's stop in and look. And it was the night before the race. And it was very interesting. They have bicycles there that cost more than every car I've ever owned combined. It's pretty amazing. But they had a whole bunch of them, a ton of these bicycles. And then as we were looking around, curiosity got the best of me, and they had these tents. And I peeked inside one of the tents, and inside of there was the, it was the trophy tent where they gave away trophies. And I looked in there, and I was very surprised to find something. You didn't see trophies with first, second, or third place on them. You saw trophies, and on the bottom it had one big word. It said, finisher. Because it was such an accomplishment to be able to even do that, to finish the race, was a huge ordeal. Do you suppose at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, you think about all he went through, how many opportunities did he have to quit and to give up and to not continue And yet he could say at the end of his life, I finished my course. Is that insignificant? It is not. Friend, do you know the greatest accomplishment we could hope to accomplish is to say the same thing at the end of our lives that he said, I want to finish my course. He has a plan for my life and I want to obey. And at the end of my life to hear when I cross that finish line, to see him face to face and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. He said, I finished my course. After that, he also says he, fortified, it says he fortified the faith. He said he kept the faith. There will be enemies of the faith, and people will press on you and I on every side to compromise. Now, this doesn't mean that the faith is somehow vulnerable and we've got to protect it, but rather, isn't it true that people are going to try to get you and I to compromise on the doctrines and the truth of the Word of God? Absolutely in order to be able to get to us. So here, the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, I kept the faith. And then lastly, Paul was rewarded. If you look at verse 8, he says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now the word henceforth, I believe it connects verses 7 and verse 8. Because he had done these things, henceforth, there's a crown laid up for him. 
there's a reward. When you run a race and you run well, you obtain a prize. And here, it's a crown. The question is, are we going to have anything waiting for us when we're done running our race? I think this is very interesting that he uses the term laid up. It's up there. It's an anticipation. It's a waiting. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, the Lord said, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, the person that is investing their life here and now will lose everything when they die. The person that is investing their life for there and then their treasures awaiting them. If you, you have an opportunity to give of your time, to give of your treasures and your talents, here's the best part. And I tell my kids about this. This is, an, this is like a job interview time. God is not making you do anything. Does He stiff arm you and bring you to church? No. Does He force you to give financially to support missions or tithe? No. That's why you have so many people in the world today and it looks like they're getting away with it. No, friend, they're not. I've had an illustration before. You know, the Bema seat judgment is, right? The Bema seat was something that was set up high. It was a seat uh, uh, in the Roman Colosseum where they could watch the race take place. It was a judge. And what happens, if you got, you're running your race and all of a sudden you see somebody else cut across the center of the field, it may look like they're getting ahead for a while. But don't you worry. The judge is watching absolutely everything. And when the race is all over with, that person will be disqualified. You'll not be crowned except you strive lawfully. And so you say, what are we going to, what am I investing my life in? Now, let me ask this. Is there any question as to where Paul's treasure was? No. It ought to be the same for us. Now, if you want to turn, turn with me to Luke chapter 19, and we'll wrap up. Luke chapter 19. I told you before, I said, tell my kids, I said, this is like an interview, a job interview, because there's several parables in the Gospels where he talks about the talents that he had given. Give one five, another, uh, no, one, yeah, one five, one two, and one, another one one. And what they did with that between the time when he gave it to them and when they came back, they were accountable for it. And here in Luke chapter 19, this is one example of that. In verse 11, Luke 19:11, it says, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. And his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he, was, when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in, very, in a very little have thou authority over ten cities? And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept, and there's those words, laid up in a napkin. Now, verse 13, he uses the term occupy 
till I come. I said, I teach, I teach my kids. This is a time period. It's like a job interview. You realize in the millennial reign, it says that we shall rule and reign with him. And I believe, coupled with this passage of Scripture right here, God's going to watch what you do with what you've been given so that in the millennial reign, he knows if he can trust you or not. He doesn't force us to live for him. He doesn't make you get involved in his work. But you know, the people he's going to employ and put in certain positions are the ones that I believe he's taken, that have taken it very serious. Here and now, when it's not required. It's voluntary. He said, occupy till I come, which is interesting. It doesn't mean like take up your, what, two square feet of space until he comes back. But it bears with it the same understanding as the word occupation. It means be busy. You need to be busy until I come back. Take what I have given you and invest it until I return. And in verse 20, the wicked servant laid up what he had in a napkin. So in closing, I want to ask you this. What are you doing with what God has given you? Do you realize I've been given money? I've been given time. I've been given influence. I've been given a lot of things. Am I using them for my pleasures here and now? Or am I using him for his cause for all of eternity? We were in the Monarch Market in Clark Fork just the other day. And uh, I was standing there and a man walked behind me, a young man, he's probably in his early 20s, walked behind me. I could smell him before I saw him. He had been smoking. He smelled like marijuana. He smelled like cigarettes. And I thought, it's, it clicked with me. It's like, ah, God gave you a body. And you're using your body for your own pleasure here and now. God wants to use your body for His honor and glory to lay up treasures in heaven. Are you using these for the Lord? Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God? I'm going to close with this. I'll close with this illustration. One of the last things, one of the things we've had to do in order to go to Mexico is pack. Oh, what a terrible thing to do! I have packed and packed and packed and packed and packed and packed and packed. You've not been a missionary, I guess, until you're packing out of a suitcase. Like I'm living out of a suitcase, but I'm packing out of that suitcase into another suitcase so I can go on a short trip because I'm living on a long trip. It's confusing. But I say this, as I was packing, one of the things that came really real to me this last week, I had a jar, a small tin, and it was filled with coins. Everybody do that? You pull your change out and throw it in a tin and you keep it. And it was like it hit me. Where I'm going, that won't be worth anything. I can't use that where I'm going. And then later, so this one's funny. I'll tattle on myself. It's customary. If I got to go to the post office to do some work, I got to do some things. I just grab a book of stamps because I go through them. I write thank you cards or letters or whatever. So I just, it's nice to have them in my bag. So I bought a book of stamps. And I get back to the house and I'm packing and packing. And I find some other stamps, just maybe one or two on their own. And I, put, I started putting them all together and it clicks with me again. United States postal stamps will do me no good in Mexico. And I, kept, and I kept seeing that going, this here will not do me any good where I'm going. You and I have so much stuff. And when we get to heaven, it won't do us any bit of good. You can't use it there. It's for now. But you can use it now in order to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. What are you living for? What are you living for?